Hello, lovelies. So, why all the sexual energy, you may ask? Well, you are actually asking. (laughs) Well, the easy answer is it is part of my evil agenda to make you jailbreak and get us out of the quagmire of this materialistic paradigm. Now, not that the material is boring per se, it's probably the exact opposite of that. You know, all that lovely stuff within the material realm that just keeps us stuck within it. And not that matter is not spiritual. On the contrary, the material is right at the very heart of the spiritual. You could even say that the material is the spiritual condensed. The problem is, more specifically, that the spiritual is out of sight, out of mind. We barely think about it today, let alone interact with it. And I thought, well, mm, we all know sex sells, right? (laughs) If I could get you interacting with your very own invisible, it might make you curious about the broader universe of all invisible things. Also, I have it on good authority that the Upanishads teach that it is impossible for us to learn elsewhere what we are incapable of learning within our bodies. So I'm obviously onto something. And quite frankly, sexual energy was my gateway drug before I began to play with plant medicines, meditations, journeying, and ancestors and all that stuff, right? So that's how I got in the door, the invisible door. And look, if we really want to get real about ancient Egypt, which is what I think that we're all trying to do here at the end of the day, is that we need to start thinking along these lines or else we're not going to get very far. And speaking of the ancient Egyptians, and really depending on who you talk to, the ancients believed that each of us had at least three or as many as nine bodies, depending on who you talk to. But only one of them was the physical body with which we are all obsessed. Shwala de Lubitsch, who inspired John Anthony West, Robert Lawler, Chance, and I, among many others, in his book, The Temple in Man, which is the little one that caused all that kerfuffle within Egyptology. Well, that book explains that the pharaonic teachings show us man composed of three beings, the sexual being, the corporeal being, and the spiritual being. Each has its own body and organs. These three beings are interdependent in the flux of juices and the nervous influx. The spinal marrow is the column of fire that connects the whole, Shwala said. Now, did not Ingo Swan just say as much? Shwala is on fire. I mean, he's just, he's so onto this. So is Ingo, but today is Shwala Day, right? He's totally on fire. He is remarkable. Not so much for me anyway in terms of his meticulous work at the Temple of Luxor. I got all messed up with all the mass, right? Yuck but uh, I'll try it again one day. But what Schwala really brought home to me was two very important points. 
that I took on board very early and which have haunted me ever since and have inspired much of my work, if you want to call it that today. (laughs) And here are the two things that stuck with me. One is that the ancient Egyptians did not think like us. And two, that if we want to understand and embrace the legacy that they have left for us, then we are going to have to understand their paradigm and the way they thought. And this is what I have been trying to do with you by pointing out to you our paradigm, its shortfalls, some of the stuff we're missing out on because we have a limited perspective, and trying my hardest to open us up to the invisible. What more can a girl do, eh? (laughs) Anyway, Shwala wrote on this, and he is far more eloquent than I, so let's look at what Shwala had to say about what I call the problem with the materialistic paradigm, or he uses the word rationalism. So here goes. Rationalism is based on the data provided by the senses, and the senses perceive only a meager part of what is. Thus, through rationalism alone, we can know only what is encountered through the senses. What is ponderable, quantitative? Yet mathematics have demonstrated the existence of elements that fall outside the physical. We must take this into account. And if rationalism brings us up against an impenetrable wall, in doing so, it in fact teaches that it has limits and that we should seek another means of knowledge. It follows from these observations that either there exists only a concrete world perceptible to the senses, or we lack a faculty that would enable us to grasp the abstract without having to concretize through the imagination. The process is ingrained in us in accordance with a mode that always leads to the quantitative definition. This is the inverse of the Egyptian mentality. Okay? So basically what he is saying is that our materialistic mode of thinking is exactly the inverse of the Egyptian way of thinking. Shuala calls the ancient Egyptian mentality pharaonic thinking. And I've kind of bastardized it to other ways of knowing. What ways? Well, Ingo's book is all about another way of knowing. A huge amount of Rudolf Steiner's work is about bringing to life or bringing online these organs of perception that we cannot see with our eyes. And again, Ingo could see them, and that's a lot of what he talks about in the book we just featured. And that is why playing with these energies and these sexual energies and these energetic sexual organs is a good step because they are undeniable. They are hard to ignore. We absolutely feel these energies when aroused. And so they are not so much of a mystery to us. 
It might not be a foolproof method, but it is my small contribution to helping us take a small step for mankind. Shwala felt the pain too, right? <laughs> he felt the pain of getting us into the pharaonic kind of thinking. He said... Pharaonic Egypt remains unknown in terms of its true science, its contingent psycho-spiritual knowledge, and its philosophical mentality. Okay, so let's stop right there for a second because that is huge. Despite being, what, the smartest civilization the planet has ever known, according to us, despite all of our research and academia, <laughs> what Schwala is saying is that pharaonic Egypt's true science is still a mystery to us. And that is honestly very much how we feel at Magical Egypt, even after devoting 20 years looking at ancient Egypt science. It's kind of like we're literally just scratching the surface particularly when it comes to, quote, its contingent psycho-spiritual knowledge. Now, bam, that's huge. And that's kind of, again, what we're literally just scratching the surface off in season two and season three. But just listen to those words, contingent psycho-spiritual knowledge. How on earth are we even going to look at that within our materialistic prison paradigm? Anyway, let's get back to Shwala. The funerary texts develop the myth transcribed into images, but it has not been possible to translate the deeper meaning of these images into comprehensible language. The philosophical connection of the accumulated data is lacking. One tends to seek in ancient Egypt as well as Babylon and other traditions of the past what might be called a rational expression of esotericism. This is an error that arises from the prejudice that there is no esotericism or that there exists an intent to conceal a certain knowledge. Okay, I'm going to stop there for a second. And you'll even hear chants and so many people talk about the hidden knowledge, the stolen knowledge. But what I think is super interesting is what Shuala says next, as I think herein lies the key. However, simple reasoning shows us that, for example, if the Gospels were written to teach the way of truth and to show us what this truth consists of, then the form of parables and enigmatic phrases chosen for this revelation would be nonsensical if its purpose were to conceal this truth. The purpose of these parables and enigmatic phrases is not to hide anything from he who has eyes to see and ears to hear, according to the evangelical formula. The purpose is to select those who developed the necessary understanding and who are for this reason worthy of these secrets, that is to say, they will not misuse them for selfish motives. There was never any intent to conceal from those prepared any of the wisdom transmitted by the text, traditions, or monuments. 
The enigma does not lie in the thing itself, but in the result of understanding our faculties and our intelligence, which are not attuned to the mentality according to which the idea was expressed. And it is just this that our present education prevents us from admitting. Okay, so it's not that this information in ancient Egypt is concealed from us. It is that the wisdom in ancient Egypt lies outside the information that our present education provides us. It lies outside our materialistic prison paradigm. So basically, if we want to understand the wisdom that the ancient Egyptians have left us, we need to have eyes to see and ears to hear outside of the material prison paradigm. Our material prison paradigm eyes and ears are not going to cut the mustard. As Robert Lawler explains in the preface to the book, The Temple in Man, the doctrine of the ancient Egyptians, he's he's meaning, (laughs) encompasses a vision of the principle of matter as a field of existence responsive to and capable of being transformed by spiritual influences brought about through the evolution of embodied and individualized consciousness. The West could benefit from a philosophy of spiritual depth that does not suppress, diminish, or deny our intellectual and material nature, but rather fulfills our commitment to the meaningfulness of human life and this material expression of the universe. The lost alchemy, the pursuit of which extends back to its flowering in ancient Egypt, can be seen as the hidden esoteric roots of both civilization and individuals throughout recorded time. It is this same alchemy which is at the core of the vision of the anthropocosm, of man as being and containing within himself the entire universe. Let's go back to the Upanishads for a second. This vision, which is introduced by Shwala de Lubitsch in these pages, and expanded and brought to life in his major work, The Temple of Man, leaves us with a single enduring message. Get ready for it. The inevitable resurrection of the spiritual essence, which has involved itself in matter in the form of organic creative energy. Boom. Okay? We need to resurrect the damn spiritual. (laughs) With Egyptian alchemy, we are considering then a science in the highest sense of the word and one very different from our own. It was science directed towards the embodiment of spiritual knowledge, towards the internalization and corporeal expression of intellectual and spiritual powers rather than mechanistic utilization of knowledge and power for the exploitation and manipulation of the earthly environment. The temple was the pinnacle of the collective life, ever guiding the energy of the long-lived civilization of the Nile Valley 
towards the gestation of a divine humanity out of the transitory human form. Hello lovelies, I am so excited to announce the release of our new film called Heka. Heka looks at the magic of ancient Egypt and how that pertains to the story of ancient Egypt and fills in a whole new perspective that we have been missing collectively for hundreds of years. It features Gordon White, Chance Gardner, Joseph Patrick Farrell, Lon Milo Duquette, Tobias Churton, Graham Hancock, of course, the fabulous John Anthony West, Rupert Sheldrake, Stephen Skinner, Thomas Sheridan, Peter Mark Adams, Thomas Joseph Brown, Aton Veggie, Mog Morton, Bernardo Katstrup, Shauna Holm, Mark Passio, John Zaraki, and the goddess Joanna Kujawa. I am so incredibly proud of it, and I invite you to come and have a look. You can find a link on MagicalEgypt.com. Thank you. 